Thank you, Rob and Jasmine. Um, I, I know myself, that little celebration was so fun and such an encouragement to my soul, but also I'm a redhead. I'm probably red up to here, hence the scarf today. So good morning, you guys. I am so excited to be here. Um, my name is Megan Williams. I am the families director here. And week in and week out, I get to see our families and I know you guys and I know your kids and I get to like love on your kids and also watch them grow. I've been here um, in this role for about two and a half years. And so I have really been blessed by like watching your kids grow and even watching you guys grow as parents and as families. But this is something that is totally new to me. A lot of you probably have never even seen me before or don't recognize me and that's okay. Good morning, I'm here. Um, I do exist, but I am, I'm just really excited to be with you guys this morning. So thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about my family, just a little bit about ourselves before we jump into the book of Zephaniah today. So I think we have a picture. Yeah, this is a picture. Um, the guy that just got called back for students, and I'm not sure if there were any because I still see him, but that is Seth. That is my husband. Um, and it has been really fun for us to do ministry together even as he's kind of stepped into this need of a role for student ministry. So he's here also doing things with our students, loving on our middle and high school students. And then we have two kiddos. We have Ollie, who is seven. He's going into second grade this week. So big deal. Big week for all the parents in the room. Some of them are excited. Some of them are sad. We have lots of feelings about this. Maybe both. Um, and then Hazel, who is three and a half, and she looks pretty grumpy in this picture. It's really hard to get a picture where four people are smiling. And she just, she's a little sassy, and it's okay. She is so much fun, but she is our three and a half year old. So that's my family. Um, we came to Atlanta about three years ago. In fact, this week is the anniversary of us moving to Atlanta, the, the three year anniversary. And um, honestly, it just, it took a lot of yeses for us to get here, a lot of yeses to God. It was a hard season, but such a fruitful season, and God has blessed our yeses so much. We said yes to new jobs. We said no to old jobs. I left a teaching job in Greenville, South Carolina that I loved, that I'd been in it for eight years. Um, we said yes to moving to a place where we did not have a home. We said yes to selling our home and then moving into a camper because we weren't sure we were going to stay. So there were just a lot of yeses that we said um, to God to get here and to be here today and to make Atlanta our home. But one of those yeses even is um, me being on the stage today, honestly. Has anybody in this room ever done something that feels really scary, but you like absolutely feel like you were called to do it? Anybody? I'm not alone, like a handful of people. Awesome. Um, that's, that's me today. And so I'm going to admit to you that this is new and this is scary for me, but I would love to pray over this morning, and I know God's going to honor my yes this morning. Jesus, I just thank you so much. I thank you for every person, every human that has walked in the store, every heart, every brain, God. I pray that you would just speak to all of us, me included, Lord. Um, God, I pray that you will just speak through me, despite me. God, I, I pray that you will honor my yes and use it to impact these people for you, Lord, and to help them know how loved they are by you, God. Thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people. We love you. So I've gotten a lot of great sermon writing tips. 
Um, and a lot from people who I work with and some from people who I don't work with who have never been on this stage. That's been a really fun thing to like navigate and hear. Some of them are really funny. Some of them are like gold. Um, one of the sermon writing tips that I've gotten was if you start to feel really nervous, you don't actually have to look people in the eye. Like, just look over people's eye line. They're going to think you're looking at the person behind them. And it makes me think of the office in the scene where Dwight's like, meet my eye line, Jim. And if you laughed at that, you are my people. So I now know who my people in the room are. Um, but another tip I got, practice from stage. Because at Grace Midtown, we love the communal feeling of being in the round. But it is really awkward when you are on stage. So practice it. And I tend to be a little awkward with my body anyway. So here I am practicing, trying to spin. I'm going to try to talk to all of you this morning. But we're going to do our best. Um, another tip that Rob gave me this one. I'm going to go ahead and name this one because this one kind of made me laugh. But it's also very valid. He told me not to manufacture a preacher voice. And if you know me, you know this is like nowhere in my body. Um, but it did make me think of our three-year-old. So our three-year-old, Hazel, is very imaginative. God has given her like this huge imagination. And I love that about her. But she's very into like switching roles right now. So she wants mommy to be daddy. She wants daddy to be mommy. Sometimes I'm a cat. She is all of us, um, inanimate objects, so she talks to things that are not there. It's really fun, but often mommy is daddy, and my daddy voice kind of sounds like this, and in my head, that's what my preacher voice sounded like. Not going to do that to you guys today. Um, and then the last tip that I think I really took to heart, and a more serious tip, was to think about the people who are in the room and um, ask God what he would say to them. And so I did that as I was preparing, and that was kind of where I started. I read Zephaniah, I read Zephaniah, I read Zephaniah some more, and I asked God. I said, man, this is a minor prophet, Old Testament, really long time ago. God, what do you want to say to our people through Zephaniah? And I thought about the people in the room as I was doing that, and I thought, we have a lot of different people in this room. We have a lot of different life stages in this room. And some of the people in this room, some of you are walking like a pretty regular mundane life. You're living your day-to-day. -day. You are going to work or taking care of kids or going to classes, and your life feels really normal right now. And maybe that's a beautiful thing, and you love the rhythm of it, or maybe it's something that you hope to get out of, and you're asking God for more. So that can look a lot of different ways. We have hurt people in this room. I'm one of them, but we have people who are hurting right now because of some way that somebody else has hurt you. We have people who are hurting because of um, something tragic that's happened in your life. And we don't, we don't hold that lightly. We know there are hurting people in this space. We also have people who are making really big decisions. We have college students who are deciding on classes or majors. We have people um, look, looking for jobs. We have people coming to Atlanta because they found a new job and then they need to find community. We have big decisions like home buying and babies. And then the swing side of that, of like, when are the, what if those things aren't happening when we want them to? So there's a lot of different life stages in this room. And when I was asking God, Lord, what, what would you say to all of us? What could you speak to all of us through Zephaniah? The common denominator that I kept coming back to was that no matter what life stage you're in right now, 
life looks a lot different when you trust the Lord fully, when you trust the Lord wholly. And we're going to talk about that today and how God honors your trust in him. It doesn't mean everything's beautiful. It doesn't mean if you're in a hard season, suddenly life is going to get a lot better because you trust in him. But it does look different when you're walking with him. And so we're going to kind of jump into that today. Um, Let me give you a brief history of Zephaniah. Because even though Zephaniah is only three chapters long, I am not going to read the whole book of Zephaniah to you. And I'm also not going to try to teach you the entire book of Zephaniah. I feel like that would be impossible. So we're going to kind of do a brief overview, and then we're going to dive into the passages that we're focusing on today. Um, Zephaniah is three chapters. It is, um, if I were to sum it up, in fact, I'm not going to lie, I stole this from the Bible Project because that's a really amazing resource. And if you have never used the Bible Project videos to help you in your study of the Bible or to help you understand the Bible better, I'm just going to plug that. That was not in my notes, but it's a great resource. And I think it's a resource not enough people know about. Um, But the Bible Project kind of sums Zephaniah up like this. It says that Zephaniah shows how God's justice and love work together to give the world hope. And that's what we're talking about today. So we're going to see how God has used a lot of things that look really hard, and he has given us hope through those things. And when I read Zephaniah, I read Zephaniah in two major parts. So I kind of split it in my brain, and I think other people look at it differently. But in my brain, there's the first part, which is chapters 1, 2, and even the first part of 3. And in this section, this first part of Zephaniah, we have... um, a powerful, very poetic message of the day of judgment, of God's judgment. And the reason we're seeing this message of the day of judgment is because, honestly, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's a lot of idolatry. There's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of sins against God and his people. And we know, if you know the Bible at all, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, and the second's like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in Zephaniah, we see all of this sin against God, but also his people sinning against each other. And um, that's kind of what we see in the first couple of chapters. And there's a lot of warnings, too, for God telling his people to turn away from that and turn back to him, just to trust him, just to turn back. It's so easy to just to turn back and trust the Lord. That's all he's asking. And then there's part two of Zephaniah. And um, that's where chapter three I'm calling 9 through 20 part 2 because that's what 9 through 20 was in my head. That was the second part of Zephaniah. And here's what I think of as kind of like an invitation to a celebration. It's this celebration of all of God's promises over his people. It's promises of restoration. And it's promises of hope. And it's promises of his love and his justice. And so that's where we're going to kind of dive in. We're going to get started by reading Chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, and I think we've got that on the screen as well. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove you from your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave ever within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. 
A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. And so in the first couple of chapters of Zephaniah, we kind of see God as God the judge, but here I feel like we're seeing God as God the gracious. And um, God the gracious, his full intention is for his people to trust him and to return to him. That's all he's asking for. And one of the words I wanted to talk a little bit about, because it's used here in the verses I just read, but it's also used in um, other parts of Zephaniah, if you go back and read it, is remnant. And when I think of remnant, I kind of think of what's left after a catastrophe. Unfortunately, my brain for remnant goes to like hurricane and what's left in the devastation, the buildings that are left, the remnant of what's left. Um, we see remnant used in the Bible in many places, and another one of those that probably most people in this room are familiar with are Noah and the peop- those that were on the ark with him. And remnant, depending on how you think of it, can have a negative connotation, but all of the times in the Bible, it's oft- more often used with a positive connotation than a negative connotation, because the remnant in the Bible and the remnant we're talking about here are actually those that are carrying the hope of restoration and of returning to God. So when we're talking about the remnant, we're talking about a hopeful thing. We're talking about the people who are trusting in the Lord and who are going to return to God. Um, And God makes lots of promises for those who trust in him. And we're going to talk a little bit about that more now. But I wanted to focus on 312, and I think I have a slide just for this. Um, I wanted to read it. I read it in the NIV version, but I really love the message version. So the message version says, I'll leave a core of people among you who are poor in spirit. What's left of Israel that's really Israel? They'll make their home in God. And I love this specifically because of the last part. They'll make their home in God. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be known as. I want to be known as Megan, who has made her home in God. Not Megan, who has made her home in Atlanta. Not Megan, who has made her home in her family. Not Megan, who has made her home in her job at the church or her physical home. But Megan, who has made her home in God. Something else that I really love about this verse, um, it says poor in spirit in the message, but if you flip back to the NIV, it says the meek and the humble. And I want to talk about those words for just a second. Let me start by saying meekness isn't weakness. And I'm saying that as someone who has had to speak that over myself so many times recently. Um, Meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is something that God loves and he honors in us. Some of you have given your na- yourself this name of being meek, and you've given it to yourself in a negative way, and you've let it limit who you are, and you've let it limit what you will allow God to do through you. And I just want to encourage you to let that go, because meekness is not your weakness. Meekness is beautiful, and it's loved by the Lord. Um, The second part of that is humble. We think about often, we think about humble as maybe lacking self-confidence. We think about prideful people, proud people are often the successful people. We live in a city that really values success. We have a lot of colleges here. We have a lot of people who move here for jobs. We live in a place that really values success. It's expensive to live here. It helps to make money. 
Um, and we look at that and we think we've got to have a plan. We've got to do all the things to get us to the next step in our life. But humility tells us that the plan shouldn't be our own. We need to trust in the Lord. So God honors the meek and the humble. And that's important for you to remember today. We're going to go ahead and jump into the next um, set of verses. And that's 3, 14 through 19. And I'm going to read those to you, but they're also on the screen. It says, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. How many of you have suffered shame before or felt like an exile before? or experienced lameness before in some kind of way. This section of verses is so powerful because it is so full of God's promises. It's full of promises of peace and of restoration and presence and praise and honor and of God delighting in you. Can you imagine that? God delights in you. He does. I, the next slide I have has some pictures that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, so I told you earlier, these are my kiddos. And when I think of delighting in my like worldly understanding of what it means to delight in someone, I think of my kids because I delight in them all of the time. But this past, or I guess almost two weeks ago, we had the opportunity to kind of take a working vacation. And so I don't work on Fridays. My husband does. And our last day of our working vacation, I took the kids to a children's museum. And um, the children's museum was amazing. I didn't really have to do anything. I was just like there making sure they were safe. And I also just got to watch them. And that's something I don't get to do very often. I feel like there's always some kind of distraction. There's always work to be done. They always need something or, ask, or asking questions or saying mommy 12,000 times. But like in this moment, there was so much for them to do. There was so much excitement. That wasn't happening. They didn't say my name a thousand times. And I got to just delight in who they are. So Ollie on the left, he's my almost seven, or not seven, he is almost seven, he is seven. He is my seven-year-old going into second grade. And what I know about him is that the Lord has made him to really, really love making friends. That's like a passion he has. Like not just a little, like he loves to make friends. And um, there was this climbing tower in the middle of this children's museum, and it was two stories high, and it was, this building was like circular, and so I could see him from literally everywhere I was following Hazel around. I could just see him. And so that was really awesome because I didn't have to like try to split myself into two to follow my kids around. But 
I watched him and all he wanted to do, this amazing children's museum set up with all of the things you can imagine for imaginative play. And all he wants to do is hang out in this tower and chase kids and talk to kids that are within 10 feet of him. Every kid that was within 10 feet of him, honestly, every adult that was in 10 feet of him, he was talking to. And I got to delight in that. I just got to delight in how God made Ollie. And it's so different than how God made Hazel. Hazel wanted to, you can see she's got like a flapper dress on. I didn't help her with any of this. She put all of this on on her own. She's got this floppy hat. She's got these beads. She did pour us some tea and, and fussed at me for not having my pinky out. And I don't even know where she gets these things because that is, that's not me. But she has gotten those. They are in her head. And she loves imaginative play. She loves dressing up. She doesn't leave our house without 25 accessories on. But I just, I just got to delight in my kids that day. I got to delight in Ollie's love for people, love for running around. I got to delight in Hazel and her creative, imaginative brain. And I think about as much as I delight in my kids, and I love my kids so much, all of that's a worldly love. And I delight in them as much as I know how. But everything I feel for my kids God loves us so much more exponentially than that. He loves us in a way that we cannot even understand. Love for kids, I think, is different than most worldly love. It's different than romantic love. It's different than love we see on TV. But even that doesn't compare to the way our Father loves us and delights in us. And so just that verse one more time, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. God delights in you, and he rejoices in you. How amazing is that? It's pretty awesome, right? It's like hard for our brains to understand, but he delights and he rejoices over you. And so I want to kind of close us down Um, with verse 20, and this is the end of Zephaniah, and it is also the end of where we're going to talk today. Verse 20, I'm going to read to you, says, at that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. And we talked about making our home in the Lord earlier. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. That's a lot of rich promises. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come back up. And um, as the band is starting to come back up, I wanted to talk to you guys for a few minutes. I wanted to give you a moment to ask God to quiet all of the other voices in your head. Ask God to quiet your own voice your own negative self-talk. Ask the Lord to quiet other voices. Maybe you have people who are putting a lot of pressure on you to be a certain way or do a certain thing. I want you to ask him to shut off any shame that you're letting hold you back or any name that you've given over yourself that's kind of holding you back in this season. And I want you to just kind of shut all of that down. And I want you to remember that God loves you unconditionally in a way that we can't even understand. We don't have to work for his love. It can be easy to doubt because we tend to like put God in this box of human love. Um, 
based on how other people have loved us or said they loved us but didn't actually love us well. God's not like that. God loves you so unconditionally, and all he wants is for you to trust in him, to walk humbly with him. And so and in this moment where you're kind of shutting out all of those other voices and as the band starts to play, I'm going to encourage you to let God sing over you. Let him sing his delight over you, just like he promises in Zephaniah 317. Jesus, I just thank you so much, God. I thank you for all of these promises you have made to love us, to delight in us. You've promised protection and peace. You've promised your presence. You've promised to deliver us from our shame and walk hand in hand with us, Lord. We thank you for being our Father and for loving us well. We love you. Amen.